0: If you go back to the Zulu tribes in Africa, so one of the oldest tribes of people on the planet, and you look at how they talk and communicate amongst themselves, their language was developed around this idea of I see you and I hear you. So if you look at the Zulu tribes in that sort of beginning of development of language, they didn't say hello like we do today in our languages or in lots of languages. When they greeted each other, they would say, I see you. There was a human recognition for I can see you as a person in front of me. It's not a physical sight thing. It's about a deeper connectivity.
1: Hey, everybody. I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome to Punk Rock HR. Today's guest is author and podcaster Mimi Nicklin. She's the author of a book called Softening the Edge, It's all about empathy and how humanity's oldest leadership trait is changing our world. In today's conversation, we talk all about empathy, what it is, what it isn't, and how you actually put empathy in practice at work. Michelle Obama recently gave a speech and said that there's an empathy deficit among many people in power in America and I'll tell you, I feel that in my bones, which is why I'm so excited to talk to Mimi today about something so primal, empathy, but yet so hard to achieve. If you wonder how seeing someone's perspective can help you be a better leader, well, sit tight because here comes Mimi Nicklin. Hey, Mimi, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. So before we get started, people come on Punk Rock HR because they have big ideas. Why don't you tell us what your big idea is?
0: Yeah, I would love to. So I mean, my big idea is to drive the conversation around empathy into the world. So I'm busy doing that every day, trying to encourage people to think a little bit more about how empathy could change our world just a little bit.
1: Well, that's pretty big. I think a lot of people have heard the word empathy. They may think they know what it is, but do you have a working definition that
0: you like? Yeah. Look, I think for me, the simplest way to understand empathy is to think about perspective taking because fundamentally that's what empathy is. It's about being able to take the perspective of others, to stand in their shoes or to see the world from their own perspective. So yeah.
1: I like it. I like it. So one of the things that
0: really drove me to your work is that you
1: believe there's an empathy deficit in the world. So can you talk to me a little bit about that? Because I agree, but that's because I think people are terrible. <laughs> so I don't know if we could ever overcome that empathy deficit because people are miserable. I don't know. What do you think?
0: Yeah, listen, I don't think people are terrible, but I Definitely think that there's an empathy deficit in the world, and in fact, it's not just me that thinks that. That's what the data shows. So we've seen 30 years of declining empathy levels all around the world. So this is something that has been recorded and has been going on for three decades. In fact, the first person to talk about the empathy deficit was President Obama all the way back in 2006. But very little conversation has happened since then, and yeah, the levels keep on going down. So it's not just my opinion; it's something that people have recorded, and uh, we're seeing it in all kinds of areas of society.
1: Well, I definitely feel like there's an empathy deficit in the world of work, whether you're a leader and you lack perspective on what your workforce is going through, or you're a worker and you're just so consumed with your own perspective that you're not open to understanding what's happening with others. We really lack empathy. So I just want to check in with you because that's how I feel. I want to make sure the data supports that. But also now that we know that, what do we do with it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. There, You're right. The data does support it. We have all kinds of issues from a work point of view, whether that's high absenteeism, low morale, low levels of loyalty, even improved or, or lack of performance, depending on which way around you look at that equation. So yes, there's lots of data that shows that we have organizations that are low on empathy and that when we improve those empathy levels or improve emotional intelligence in the workplace, we see lots of positive measures. So again, it's not just me saying that empathy is a great thing. There's all kinds of research and data out there that proves that it is as well. So we're totally in agreement and what can we do about it? Well, for a start, we can start talking about it um, and start training it The great thing about empathy is it's quite contagious. So if you start to be more empathetic, if you're a leader, if you're a team leader, or even just someone in a team, if you start to use empathy more, what you'll find is that the people around you do it too, because it is, it's something that we mirror quite naturally as human beings. So simply the discussion about increasing empathy, the discussion about being more empathetic will indeed lead us to have more empathetic relationships and a society around us.
1: Well, that's really interesting. So let's say I'm a listener of Punk Rock HR, and I really feel as if I have plenty of empathy, but my senior leadership team lacks it or the people around me lack it. Where do I get started? It's almost like a chicken and an egg thing, right? I mean, sure, it could start with me. But if I feel like I'm operating on all full cylinders, where do I go to add more empathy in the world?
0: The great thing is, or or perhaps the confidence building thing is, and I, I touched on this just now, is... The reality is that empathy is something that is built into our brain, right? So there is a preconception that some people are born with more or less empathy, which is not actually true. Some people choose to use it more or less, but we're all born with the same amount of empathy. It's something that's been built into our brains sort of for hundreds of thousands of years as we've evolved. The other thing that's worth knowing is that due to the neuroplasticity of our brains, if you make the decision to be more empathetic, you will be more empathetic. Simply the decision to do that will have an impact on your brain because our brains are plastic. So when you tell them to activate a part or a different type of skill, it will happen. So it does sound like oversimplifying, but simply, as I mentioned now, the decision to make your environment or your team a more empathetic environment will have an impact. Having said that, of course, culture starts at the top. So really, if you want to make change in organizations, we need this to happen from the top of organizations. We need leaders to buy into it. And one of the things that I believe is that if we can spread the data, if we can have the conversation more often to show the power of empathy to more leadership teams, we're going to be well on the way to making that decision because for so many, they simply don't have the data set. Perhaps they don't believe in empathy, they don't know about empathy, or perhaps they themselves have never been trained in it because it wasn't the way that their leadership taught them. So yes, so I think there's definitely a need for conversation and for training in order to make that change. Well, let's talk a little bit about that because we have traditional
1: leadership where it's top-down, hierarchical, very paternalistic, and it's kind of like, well if we like you, you get a paycheck and you should be grateful you got a paycheck and that's the way the world works. And we've now seen a shift in the way we've hopefully managed people or we're shifting in a more active way to more modern style of leadership where we're trying to coach, we're trying to enable and mentor. So if I wanted to implement empathy training in my organization, what does that even look like? It's a
0: good question. And it is definitely something that's quite new. It's something that is increasingly demanded. And I think the reality that we've been living through this COVID 19 context that we've had to come to terms with has changed the openness to that. Because if you think to perhaps November, December, 2019, this was really barely a discussion. And I remember when I started writing my book that no one was talking about empathy, you know, the media, nobody, it wasn't a thing in the world. Fast forward what has only been about 10 months, which is a relatively short period of time, you know, in the world of leadership. And now this is a discussion that you will see all over the place. I mean, we're talking about it today. So there's proof in that, you know, that conversation is changing. One of the key parts of any empathy training is simply listening. I believe that listening is probably the most undervalued skill set in the workplace, actually, probably in the world. And if we can start to move our teams towards understanding what listening is, how do you use active listening? How do you listen to hear people, not to answer them, not to reply, but actually to hear and to understand that level of training, that level of connectivity that we're going to be able to build between our people is going to be a really great step in the right direction. Well, I
1: often feel like listening is this one big bucketed answer for all of society's problems, whether it's training on unconscious bias or racism or beating back our different biases in the workplace, we start with listening. And you touched on this, that listening is a way to kind of unlock conversations and perspectives, but can you dive a little bit deeper? Because sometimes I feel like we say listening is the answer and it just doesn't go very deep for a lot of people. So tell me why is listening so important?
0: Yeah. I mean, the reality is as human beings, as a civilization, one of our our highest orders is to be seen and to be heard. And I write about this quite a lot. If you go back to the Zulu tribes in Africa, so one of the oldest tribes of people on the planet, and you look at how they talk and communicate amongst themselves, their language was developed around this idea of, I see you and I hear you. So if you look at the Zulu tribes in that sort of beginning of development of language, they didn't say hello like we do today in our languages or in lots of languages. When they greeted each other, they would say, I see you there was a human recognition for I can see you as a person in front of me. It's not a physical sight thing. It's about a deeper connectivity. And even if you look at children from a very young age, even infants and and babies, that need to be recognized, the need to be heard, the need to be able to reflect yourself in the faces of others and know that you are understood is what we're really talking about. So yes, there's listening and lots of discussions now. And, And again, I think this is a conversation that has shot up the due to all of the realities of 2020. But there is an extremely deep need as human beings to be seen and to be heard. It's how we recognize that we exist. This is about actually a reflection of our entire being in our group, in our society, in our place and in community. So you're right, it's thrown around a lot. It's talked about a lot, but it definitely works. You will notice that if you can lean in, actually physically make eye contact, hear people when they talk to you repeat. Back to them, okay, Laurie, what I'm hearing you say is this you will notice entire changes in the way people communicate, the amount of information people give you. So it is, it's subconscious, it's built into the brain, and we're very smart at knowing when people aren't listening. And that is a subconscious reality. If someone is not really paying attention, crossing their arms, and kind of distracted, even if your conscious mind hasn't noticed. Your subconscious has, and that changes how you behave. Gosh, that's so interesting.
1: It makes me think about the one disagreement I've had with my best friend, actually, two really good friends. We were out having dinner and a drink, and they were telling a story about someone, and I had not had a good feeling about this individual. I was trying to communicate it and they were brushing off my feelings, and I screamed out, I just wanna be heard. <laughs> Like, it's one of these weird primal things that came out of my mouth and they're like, oh, were we not hearing you? I'm like, that's it. I just want to be heard. What I'm saying is really important. I want you to acknowledge it. So we laugh about it now to this day, but you're right. That need to be seen and heard is so important. But, you know, our society drives us to this fast pace of interacting with one another, especially in the workforce. So how do we balance that need for speed, that speed of
0: communication, right? With this need to be seen and to be heard? Well, there are two great enemies of empathy. One of them is stress and the other one is time. So you've hit the nail on the head there in that when we are all running at a crazy pace of life and working under intense stress, and that stress has changed, right? COVID-19 has changed the type of stress we're working under. And we may now be working at home with less physical running from meeting to meeting across the city and that type of thing. But we're incredibly stressed as a group of people on the planet today. We don't know when things are going to change or will they ever go back to what was normal. Those realities have a huge impact on our ability to empathize. So one of the most important things to consider when you're trying to create a more empathetic environment, an environment where people feel heard, exactly like you were saying that night, is you need to lower the stress levels. Because from a neuro point of view, when you are incredibly stressed, when you are in what we call the fight and flight mode, right, your body is actually... able to empathize. It's not a choice anymore. Your brain is prioritizing other areas of your body, other areas of importance and emotional intelligence, or just the leverage of the prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain that's responsible for empathizing, is not available to you. So creating environments that are lower stress. I call this environment a parasympathetic environment. To create that environment, you're making an active decision to enable people to create more empathy. Because if people are incredibly stressed, it's a very cutthroat, hierarchical, autocratic environment. You're going to find it very hard to have that level of stress and strain and sort of formal engagement all the time. And at the same time, say, I want to increase connectivity and empathy. So those things do go hand in hand. And as you mentioned, time is the other one. And as the world speeds up, And I don't just mean short term, I mean, over the last, say, two decades, it has become harder because we're under such pressure to respond, to react all the time. We often miss what's right in front of us because we're not actually looking. We're on autopilot the whole time.
1: That's so well said. And I'm thinking about the listener who's tuned into this podcast, who really wants to demonstrate empathy and create a more empathetic culture in her organization. But she'll say... That's not our style. That's not the way my company operates. And you must hear that. You must hear the pushback and you must want to encourage people to create microcultures, right? Or do something a little bit more local in their own environment. Like, Don't worry about what corporate says. Try to only affect your limited point of view or span of control, but that push and pull is so hard. So what do you say to someone who is working in an environment that's 24 seven nonstop, especially with COVID, our work days are getting longer. Our meetings are getting longer. I mean, the data's is in, we're taking fewer breaks and yet this time in our lives
0: demands more empathy. So what do you say to that person? I think I would say to that person, you know, this is a decision that's in your control. Right. So, yes, you can't control your corporate culture, perhaps, especially if you're in a very large organization. You can't necessarily change your office hours or any of those things that you were just referencing. But as a human being, as a person on the planet, you can control the relationships you build in your, like you said, your microcosms, the people around you. I write a lot about a ripple effect, which for sure is not a unique term, but it's a perfect term to describe this. Because as I've mentioned, empathy is contagious empathy does ripple, you can win around all kinds of environment scenarios and people by turning on your empathy and by practicing and honing that skill. If you're in a really difficult environment, you go into a meeting, even if it's on Zoom, and the energy is very perhaps negative or just high stress, You will notice and you have to persevere. But if you lean in, if you improve your eye contact, if you smile, which is also neurologically proven to have an impact on our joy and how we feel physiologically, you will see that people come with you because empathy is a skill that we evolved to have this is not something new. This is like super old knowledge. As people, we want to be happy. We want to connect. We want to be part of a group. So even if you're making small wins, perhaps you have a team of five people that you could impact, or perhaps you have a team of two. If you can improve the empathy in that small microcosm, you can begin to make a change. And if you can talk about it with them and encourage them to have the same conversations, we have this amazing power to change the world, literally. And that's why I started writing about the corporate world, because we spend five sevenths of our week in that environment. And I think we forget that each of those people you impact in your job has a family and people that help that family and neighbors of that family. And if you can lead with empathy and encourage that in others, you can impact, you know, plenty more people than perhaps the small maybe team that's physically in your organizational system. So it's a choice, Laurie, and it's something that I would love to think this conversation might inspire a few more people to think about.
1: I think you're right. I hope it does. That's the point. You know, when people have big ideas on the show, it's often interesting to hear the origin story. So I wonder why you're drawn to empathy. Like, why is this a thing for you in your life? You could have picked a million different interests, right? You could have been
0: passionate about anything, but you're passionate about empathy. Why is that? Gosh, because, you know what, there was two things that really happened in my life that made me go down this path. I think it's worth saying that I've always led with empathy ever since I was a very junior member of team. And now I run a global ad agency and, and have been in global agencies for a very long time. I always believed that I was leading with instinct And that that was it was an instinctive decision, which is true. It is A lot of empathy is instinctive for some people, but others, they have to focus on it a little bit more. And in 2018, I was sitting with a business coach and I was talking about this instinct. And she said to me, Mimi, I want to stop you a minute. Are you sure this is instinct? Or are you talking about empathy? I was like, no, I'm not talking about empathy. I mean, I really hadn't thought about it. And what that particular question did, was led me to go and start researching and looking into empathy, which has now been a two and a half year journey. And in that journey, two things happened. The first was I found out that the World Health Organization data shows that the second biggest killer of our youth, so 16 to 24 year olds, is suicide. Our children, our youth, are choosing not to live on our planet rather than to live here and thrive, right? A massive problem. The second thing that was really poignant for me, and clearly you can hear from my voice, I'm not an American, I don't live in America, but I learned when I was doing some research around empathy and violence and you know the impact of empathy on societies, that in the United States, when children turn three or four years old, they often go through training in their school system, which teaches them how to avoid gun crime in schools. And one of those lessons that I read about was that they would teach these children to sit on a cubicle in a bathroom and lift up their feet. So that if a gunman came into their school, he or she wouldn't know that there was a child in that stall, in that bathroom stall. And for me, as a mother of a three-year-old, that was a really chilling moment. And there is no judgment in this story at all. It was like a guttural response as a mother that if I have to ever explain that to my little girl, who is three, how would I do that? How would I explain to her that there are environments in the world that are so empathyless, that are so tough to understand, that adults, people she today as a little girl trusts and looks up to, might do something terrible to her. And of course, there are many examples of that type of behavioral lesson that children are learning all over the world. This is not an American thing. It was just that I read research around that. So when you put together that World Health Organization data around suicide, and and we are now seeing not just in youth, we're seeing the highest suicide levels for the last 50 years. We have 334 million people, and that was prior to COVID, people with depression. The World Health Organization has now claimed burnout as a formal and official illness that is plaguing the society, and you look at the cost to our governments of stress-related illnesses. When you put those things together, for me, I just have to do something. I feel that all of us have to wake up in the morning with something that drives us to make a change. And for me, those pieces of data, when you bring them back into the corporate world, as I said, you realize we are not powerless to make change. As corporates, as people who work in business, we can do it. We can make a change because we have access to humanity to our own teams, our suppliers, our clients, our networks. And for me, I wake up every day and think that if I can have one conversation today and inspire one person to perhaps think differently, then it's worth carrying on with that conversation. And luckily, every day for the last six months, that's happened. So I'm carrying on in leading that conversation. Well, that's pretty terrific. I mean,
1: what a moving way to describe why you do what you do. As we start to wrap up the conversation, could you tell us how you do it? So what are some of the things you offer out there in terms of tools, tips, and resources to help us get a little bit smarter about the world of empathy? Yes,
0: I'd love to. So my probably most proud achievement in this space is my first book, which comes out on the 15th of September, and that's called Softening the Edge. And that is a book that I wrote about the business world, about my experiences. There is a story in there, but it's full of information around this. So why is empathy important? How can we use it? What are the literal functional ways we can bring that into our organizations? For example, how do we reduce stress in environments? How might we build teams? Those types of things. So my book is like a labor of love. And I keep... saying, I feel like the book wrote me rather than the other way around. It's like everything just landed in a book. I never planned on it, but now it's (laughs) incredibly pleasant. I love it. Congratulations on
1: that. That's terrific. And if people want to learn more about you, the book, where should we send
0: them? What's the best place to go? So you can find me online at mimimicklin.com. I have a breakfast show weekly called Empathy for Breakfast, which is on my Facebook and my YouTube, which continues the conversation. And also a podcast called Secrets of the Gap, which is on all podcast platforms. And yeah, if you find me on any of those, you'll find the conversation on Empathy is alive and kicking.
1: Oh, that's amazing. Well, thanks so much for sharing a little bit of your perspective and your big idea with us today. It's been great to have you as a guest. I am so honored to be here. Thank
0: you very much for having me.
1: Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mimi Nicklin. For more information and a PDF takeaway with all of the tips and ideas from this conversation, head on over to laurierudeman.com forward slash punkrockhr-124. This episode of Punk Rock HR was produced by Danny Osmond and his team at Emerald City Production. Now that's all for today. And I hope you enjoyed the podcast. We'll see you next time on Punk Rock HR.